If you will turn with me or listen on to Judges chapter 13. We are going to jump right into the middle of this book. So listen on. Children, this is the story of Samson. So pay special attention because you will be familiar with some of this. Judges chapter 13. Again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Now there was a certain man from Zorah of the family of the Danites whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed, now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Now, therefore, please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink and not to eat anything unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son and no razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand. Of the Philistines. So the woman came and told her husband, saying, A man of God came to me, and his countenance was like the countenance of an angel of God. Very awesome. But I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. And he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. Now drink no wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O my Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come to us again and teach us what shall we do for the child who who will be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came to the woman again as she was sitting in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. Then the woman ran in haste and told her husband and said to him, Look, the man who came to me the other day has just now appeared to me. So Manoah arose and followed his wife. Then he came to the man. He said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, I am. Manoah said, Now let your words come to pass. What will be the boy's rule of life and his work? So the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat anything that comes from the vine, nor may she drink wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean. All that I commanded her, let her observe. Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, please let us detain you while we prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Though you detain me, I will not eat your food. But if you offer a burnt offering, you must offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know he was the angel of the Lord. Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name? That that when your words come to pass, we may honor you. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it upon the rock to the Lord. And he did a wondrous thing while Manoah and his wife looked on. It happened as the flame went up toward heaven from the altar. The angel of the Lord 
ascended in the flame of the altar. Then Manoah and his wife saw this. They fell on their faces to the ground. When the angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and his wife, then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, We shall surely die because we have seen God. But his wife said to him, If the Lord had desired to kill us, he would he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering from our hands, nor would he have shown us all these things, nor would he have told us such things as these at this time. So the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the child grew, and the Lord blessed him, and the Spirit of the Lord began to move upon him at Mahana, at Mahanadan between Zorah and Eshtol. Thus ends the reading of the Word of God. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we look to you for the eyes to see and the ears to hear. Father, open up your Word to us. Uh, Father, help the distracting cares of the world uh, to fall away from our minds. Father, watch over our hearts as we consider what you have before us here in the book of Judges. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So especially given that we're jumping in somewhat in the middle of a book, and perhaps you did not know that our pastor was on vacation for half this week. Uh, I felt like maybe it was it was worth at least introducing uh, why I chose this particular topic. This actually came about somewhat uh, this past summer um, when I began to consider, uh, for my own personal use, an in-depth study of Samson. There are four chapters. Uh, in the book of Judges dedicated to Samson, which is the largest amount of text for any of the judges, uh, as it would, uh, as it would seem. I've always been fascinated by Samson, although I will admit that I haven't necessarily known what to do with Samson. Uh, it seems like his morality was maybe, uh, somewhat in question, uh, at various times, and, and as a family several years ago, we read the book of Judges. Uh, and even in talking with my kids, I thought, how on earth do we present this uh, in an appropriate way for children? Um, and so uh, as, as, we consider, uh, as we consider Samson and Judges 13 through 16, believe me, I have that in mind. Um, so let's just jump into the book and by way of uh overview uh remember that Israel was to drive out all of the heathen nations out of the promised land Deuteronomy chapter 9 uh specifically it's probably worth reading Deuteronomy chapter 9 verse 4 do not think in your heart after the Lord your God has cast them out before you saying because because of my righteousness, the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. But it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. And it goes on from there. Um, so in the book of Judges, uh, we have uh, seven primary uh, judge narratives with 12 different deliverers, of which Samson is the last. Uh, so uh, in the very beginning... 
Uh, the book of Judges starts out on a very positive note, honestly. Uh, three times in the first chapter, um, the various tribes are working together um, to accomplish the task that God has put before them. Chapter 1, verse 3, So Judah said to Simeon, his brother, Come up with me to my allotted territory that we may fight against the Canaanites, and I will go likewise with you. So three separate times we have that sort of uh, we have that sort of characterization of the of the people of God at the beginning, and throughout the book we see decline over and over and over again: moral decline, civil war, division amongst God's people, and the overwhelming question throughout the book as a new judge is sent. Every time there's a new amount of sin, a new judge is sent. The question is, who will deliver God's people? Who will heal this people? And so that's the overwhelming question that we are meant to uh, ask as we consider uh, the book of Judges, and in particular, Samson. Now, one of the advantages of uh, being an elder and, and getting to pick uh, a specific um, text like this is I can jump right to the gold uh, right here in chapter 13. Um, so... Uh, Samson, starting in chapter 13, is sort of the, is sort of the, the climax at the end of the book. By the end of, the, by the end of the book, the, the last few chapters, uh, we see civil war break out. Uh, we see a very strange instance, uh, of a concubine harlot that is divided up and sent to various corners of the land. Um, it, the, the depravity is so dark, uh, towards the end of Judges, that it leaves you longing for a Savior. We are a wicked people, the Jew was meant to say. We need a Savior. Uh, there's almost a type of new Sodom uh, that is sort of characterized by, by the end of the book. Um, it's also important to remember from the lens of the New Testament that Samson is commended in the great hall of faith in Hebrews 11. Um, we shouldn't necessarily use uh, Hebrews 11 as a way to gloss over Samson's indiscretions, though, and we will talk more about that uh, over the next couple of weeks. Um, those indiscretions are meant to drive home an important people, uh, or an important point for the people of God, which is longing for the Savior. We're never meant to be satisfied or secure with our relationship to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Joshua, Eli, Samuel, David, but especially Samson. Samson's morality leaves a lot to be desired. And the sin and brokenness of the people continues to spiral downward throughout the 350 years that are covered in the book of Judges. So we have to avoid the temptation to make Samson a hero. It is Christ, the greater Samson, who is the hero. And that's what I hope to show tonight. Christ, the greater Samson is the true hero, for it is Christ alone, it is in Christ alone, that we and Samson are more than conquerors. So, by way of first point, let's look back at Judges, the beginning of Judges chapter 13. Uh, God's people are lost in sin, even content in sin to a certain degree, here at the beginning of Judges. And if you go back and read the book um, in its entirety, 
you will notice that there's a familiar pattern throughout the book. It happens over and over and over again. You see Israel's apostasy and sin. You see judgment. Israel cries out. And then there is deliverance over and over and over again. And by the time we reach chapter 13, there's something that is notably missing. The people of God do not even cry out any longer. Again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of Philistines of the Philistines for 40 years. There's no cry. They're content in their sin. They're content in their captivity to the Philistines. There's no cry for deliverance. This is... They're content in their slavery to sin and their bondage to wickedness. And that's represented by the Philistines. So if you'll turn to chapter 15, verse 11, you can see this contentment displayed. This is 3,000 men of Judah. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Edom and said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines rule over us? What is this that you have done to us? So this is the posture of the people of God content in their sin. But be very careful lest we judge Israel too harshly here. For this is the story of our salvation also. Because such were you and I. But we were washed, we were sanctified, we were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. That's my paraphrase of 1 Corinthians 6. The men of Judah thought this was the end, but for the Christians, sin is not the end. It might be the beginning, but it is not the end. Praise God. Application, uh, application point number one. Do not be content in your sin, beloved. Do not let sin, like the Philistines, rule over you. Do not be content with slavery to sin. That almost sounds obvious. Um, But here are some characteristics, and I realize this is a limited list, characteristics of contentment with sin, or signs that we are content in our sin. Do we have a pet sin that we cherish, something that we love? Uh, This may even be something that we justify in our own heart. The sins of the heart, our own desires. I won't do this sin, but I will allow myself to want to do this sin. That is a sign or characteristic of contentment with sin. Hidden sins, sins that we don't necessarily see. Do we entertain sinful thoughts? Do we allow ourselves to get carried away in our mind with thoughts of sin? Lack of repentance is a sign of contentment with sin. Do we repent of our sins, of our particular sins in particular? Or are we content to just say, forgive me for my sins? Lack of prayer. Are we in prayer? Do we cry out to God? Or are we so content that we have no need for prayer? No desire to pray. Do we justify our own sin or the sins of others? So what should we do if we find ourselves content in sin? 
like God's people here. We should cry out to God for deliverance. This is the very thing that Israel here has not done, and it is the very thing that we're not able to do apart from the work of the Spirit. Confess your sin before Him and beg forgiveness. Do you lack faith? Ask for more faith. Do you lack self-control? Ask for self-control. Do you love your sin? Ask that you be taken up with the love of Christ. God graciously gives His people the government that they deserve. The Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. The greater the sin of the people, the greater the need for outside restraint. And unfortunately, I believe we see this in our own land. Use of even wicked rulers within the civil kingdom is something that God employs. And in this case, God repeatedly turns the people over to wicked rulers as a judgment for their sin. Even God's judgment is a grace and kindness for his people, though. Turn with me to Judges 10.10. This is in the, the previous narrative But there's a moment that I think is worth highlighting. Judges chapter 10, verse 10. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. This was the last time they cried out, by the way. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, saying, We have sinned against you because we have both forsaken our God and served the Baals. So the Lord said to the children of Israel, Did I not deliver you from the Egyptians and from the Amorites and from the people of Ammon and from the Philistines, also the Sidonians and Amalekites and Ammonites oppressed you, and you cried out to me, and I delivered you from their hand. Yet you have forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore, I will deliver you no more. That's a terrifying thought. Go and cry out to the gods which you have chosen. Let them deliver you in your time of distress. And the children of Israel said to the Lord, We have sinned. Do to us whatever seems best to you. Only deliver us this day, we pray. So they put away the foreign gods from among them and served the Lord. And his soul could no longer endure the misery of Israel. And while I love that passage, I'm not here to exhort from that passage. Maybe sometime later. But... So perhaps that's the subject for another time. But this is the background uh, where, uh, for where we are in Judges. And all of this begs the question, from where does the deliverance of Yahweh come? Who will save God's people? And the answer is found in Judges chapter 13, verses 2 through 5. Now there was a certain man from Zorah of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed, now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Now, therefore, please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink and not to eat anything unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver the people of Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. So what we see here, by way of a third point, is that a Savior for the people of God is promised. 
None of the other judges in this book have a birth narrative. But here we have Samson with a birth narrative. Samson's mother is barren, a woman with no name. Yahweh highlights our inability to save ourselves by using human hopelessness and obscurity in choosing a nameless and barren woman to bring forth the Savior of his people. Barrenness is not uncommon. Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Hannah, Elizabeth, even Mary, to a certain degree, were unable to have children naturally. This barrenness is used to highlight the mercy of God and to show the weakness of humanity. That is, his, that his mercy might be more acceptable when it does come. If Samson's mother had many children by providence, this would have been typical. She and Manoah would have had a hand in the child's birth, but instead, but instead of a child by providence, she's given a child of promise. How much more gracious is that promise from God? Matthew Henry says, Mercies long awaited for often prove signal mercies, and it is made to appear that they were worth waiting for, and by them others may be encouraged to continue their hope in God's mercy. The signal mercy for this barren, nameless woman points to the signal mercy of the salvation of God's people from the Philistines, but ultimately to the birth of Jesus, the signal mercy for all of humanity. And I know that the subject of infertility is deeply personal. I know that personally. But I wouldn't be faithful to the word of God if we glossed over what is sometimes a frowning providence. The swells of pain and loss and grief seem to overtake us, and yet God uses barrenness to weave a beautiful tapestry highlighting the salvation of his people, allowing his people to save with the prophet Isaiah. Sing, O barren, you who have not born, break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not labored with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman. Don't allow, beloved, the seemingly dark clouds to breed bitterness in your soul, but instead look to Christ. For it is in Christ who takes our barren dead hearts and makes them bring forth life in Christ. It is Christ who takes the bland water of our souls and turns them into the wine, even the best wine at the wedding feast, in order to cheer our hearts. God tells Abram in Genesis 15, in the midst of his barrenness, God tells Abram, I am your exceedingly great reward. And to that, Matthew Henry says, the gifts of common providence are not comparable to those of covenant love. Rest in the gift of the covenant love of Christ. By way of application, consider the condition of your soul. There is a far greater danger than physical barrenness, and that is spiritual barrenness. Guard your hearts, beloved, against the dull and lifeless faith. 
bring forth fruits of spiritual righteousness, for the fruits of righteousness are sown in peace by those who make peace. How do we do this? Attend to the means of grace, the word, prayer, sacraments, but especially the preaching of the word. Our larger catechism has a lot to say. I'm probably not even going to read all of this, but I will read this. What is required of those, this is question 160 of the larger catechism, what is required of those that hear the word preached? It is required of those that hear the word preached that they attend upon it with diligence, preparation, and prayer. Examine what they hear by the scriptures. Receive the truth in faith, love, meekness, and readiness of mind as the word of God. Meditate and confer upon it and hide it in their, in their hearts and bring forth the fruit of it in their lives. Guard yourselves against spiritual barrenness. It is Christ himself that appears to announce the Savior of God's people. Matthew Henry here says, Many a woman, after having been long barren, has borne a son by providence, but, but Samson was by promise, a figure of the promised seed, so long expected by the faith of the Old Testament saints. So what is the message? The promised child would begin to deliver Israel. Verse 5, begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. The oppression of God's people would not last long. So when asked his name, the angel of the Lord refuses to offer his name. This is verse 17. Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, what is your name that when your words come to pass, we may honor you? And the angel of the Lord said to him, why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? Other angels provided their name. Gabriel announced his name. To Zacharias, but the angel of the Lord refuses to answer, saying it is too wonderful. This is the same word, wonderful, that's used in Psalm 139. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. Isaiah in chapter 9 would later describe the nativity of Christ. For unto us a child is born Unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We're not done with the name of the angel of the Lord. That word, Wonderful, if you have the King James Version, your version says Secret. In verse 18, why do you ask my name, seeing it is secret? And the word there can either be wonderful or secret. And what you'll find is that in the next chapter, there is a riddle or a secret that becomes the the dominating force of the entire next chapter, which we will consider next Sunday night, Lord willing. But what about this offering in verse 16? Manoah here wants to make a meal, and the angel of the Lord 
essentially refuses the meal. The angel of the Lord said to, Mo, said to Manoah, Though you detain me, I will not eat your food, but if you offer a burnt offering, you must offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. They're not in the temple. Manoah is a Danite. He is not a priest. So what is going on with this? How is it possible that Manoah makes this offering? Beloved, it is Christ that makes this offering acceptable. It is Christ who offers himself up and ascends into glory, clearly prefiguring his coming as a baby and the shedding of his blood at the cross, a holy sacrifice, his rising from from the dead, and his ascension into glory. Matthew Henry of this account says, Prayer is the ascent of the soul to God. But it is Christ in the heart by faith that makes it an offering of sweet-smelling savor. Without him, our services are offensive smoke, but in him, acceptable flame. We may apply it to Christ's sacrifice of himself for us. He ascended in the flame of his own offering. For by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place. Hebrews 9 says, but Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of his creation, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, entered the most holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. So what makes Manoah's offering acceptable? It is Jesus Christ, the true tabernacle, the great high priest, the great veil torn from top to bottom, the Passover lamb, the true Samson, and the only acceptable sacrifice. Verse 21. When the angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and his wife, then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, we shall surely die because we have seen God. Do we have the heart of these early saints? Do we see the inadequacy of our own offering? Do we fall on our faces before God in reverent fear? I'll be honest with you, that was just my own reflection uh, upon that, I don't know what else to say, but there is a lot more. There is a lot more there. Do we have the faith of these early saints? Fifthly, I want us to see the divine plan of God preached in a sense in this living proverb, the narrative of Samson. Do you see the divine plan of God here? Do you see the comfort that the story of Samson is to the Old Testament saint and even to the New Testament saint? The plan of redemption is laid out from beginning to end and the gospel is preached to the Old Testament believers. Jesus is saying through the story of Samson, I will come. He literally came here. I will come. I will come to you in your obscurity and barrenness. I will come to you in your sin when you can't even raise your voice to cry out to me. I will come to the lost. I will be your great high priest. I will be the sacrifice for sin. 
I will atone for your sin once and for all. I will rise from the dead and ascend into glory. I will deliver my people from the oppression of sin. And they shall be my people and I shall be their God. Do you see, beloved, how God's people are being prepared for the living parable, by this living parable, for the work of Jesus Christ, the very redemption of his people? So we've been considering this birth narrative And Samson is set out as a type of Christ uh, in the birth narrative. They're they're both conceived in an extraordinary way, children of promise. Um, Their their births are both declared by heavenly messengers and so on and so forth. Uh, But let's consider for a moment uh, that Samson was set apart as a Nazarite. Um, Jesus was in substance what Samson was in shadow, and that is set apart. The Nazarite in Numbers chapter 6 uh, is the Old Testament uh, picture of the New Testament believer. I hope that makes sense. Numbers chapter 6, the Nazarite, is the Old Testament picture of the New Testament believer. And what I mean by that is a people set apart now, there's a, I'm not intending to exhort from Numbers chapter 6. That may be something for another time. Um, but there are several interesting parallels that we need to bring out in order to really understand the thrust of the Samson narrative. The Nazarite in Numbers 6 uh, is the Old Testament type of believer. This was the person that was heavenly minded. This was the person that chose to make a vow on their own, either a man or a woman. Now, interestingly, it's very similar to the, to the vow that the priest made. Uh, but anybody could make the Nazarite vow, either man or woman. This was the person that set themselves apart for a period of time, a limited period of time, even while they resided in the promised land. So in a sense, you have, to, you have to picture this from the Old Testament perspective. This was a person that lived in the promised land currently, that was enjoying the promises of God situated in that land, and yet was saying, I'm looking forward to the heavenly reality to come. The Nazarite was a vow that was made for a limited period of time. It was relatively short. And if they came upon a dead body or a dead body suddenly happened upon them in some way, they actually had to start their vow over again. They had to shave their head. They had to offer the sacrifices of a leper, the two birds. uh, And they had to start their vow uh, over again. But what's interesting about Samson which to my knowledge is the first time there's a Nazarite is brought up as Samson's mother, who was essentially told you will be a Nazarite, uh, is that Samson would be a Nazarite from birth. While most Nazarites made vows which expired after a period of time, Samson was to be a Nazarite from birth. This was to teach the people of God about the unique requirement of the Savior, that he would be holy from birth without sin. And this would require divine intervention. There's a beautiful picture in the law of the Nazarite where a 
upon completion of of the the probationary period of time for the Nazarite that an offering was made. So once the vow was completed in number six, there is an offering that is made, and it's the offering of three lambs. In John chapter 17, I believe it's verse 4, Christ says, I have finished the work which you have sent me to do. And then he offers his himself as the sacrificial lamb. So the question that the book of Judges is seeking to answer is, who will deliver God's people from their enemies? Who will deliver God's people from their sin? The angel of the Lord tells Samson's mother that Samson will begin to deliver the people. After his death, it is said, after Samson's death, it's said of the Danites in chapter 18 that there was no deliverer. That's a terrifying thought. But the people of God were never meant to put their trust in Samson. They were meant to put their trust in Christ, the true deliverer. So just as our pastor covered this morning in Romans chapter 11, who will deliver the people of God? It is the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the Lord's day and the gathering of your saints. We thank you for the opportunity, Father, to sit under this teaching. Uh, Father, to consider Jesus Father, to consider his intercessory work for us. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.